On Yom Kippur, one should only fast if it's medically safe to do so. So what if you were stuck in hospital for Yom Kippur and they told you that they were able to feed a lion intravenously so that you could get all your nourishment via that lion and you could still fast on Yom Kippur. Should you do that? Welcome to the Transformative Daf. My name is Rabbi Daniel Friedman. Today we are on page 31 of Ksuvus. And we learn that when it is a mitzvah to fast on Yom Kippur, then one must fast on Yom Kippur. But when it's a mitzvah to eat on Yom Kippur, then that is the mitzvah and one shouldn't circumvent that. Because a relationship is about doing what the other person has mandated of us and not thinking that we can cut corners and figure out how to do it so that we feel good. Today's Transformative Duff message has been sponsored by Giles Cohen of London, England in honor of the Yorzeit for his father of blessed memory, whose Yorzeit is Tishabav, this Shabbat, Eliyahu ben Yitzchak HaKohen. Eli Cohen came from Egypt. He came to, to the UK in 1959 when Giles was only three months old. Eli was a very kind individual who never spoke an ill word about anyone. We wish Giles much strength and long life. May the Neshama have an Aliyah and be a Melitz Yosha, a good advocate for the entire family. Welcome to the Transformative Duff and thank you for being my Chavrissa today. i like to begin with a story. An individual was once too ill to fast on Yom Kippur. Unable to contemplate eating on the holiest day of the year, he wrote to Rev Moshe Feinstein with the following idea. Halachically, if he was to ingest intravenously the nutrients and liquids that he required, would it be considered that he had fasted? Let's look at today's Gemara. Rabban Chunim Akana would render Yom Kippur like Shabbos with regard to payment for damages. Just as one who desecrates Shabbos is liable to capital punishment and is therefore exempt from the obligation of payment for damages caused while doing so, so too one who intentionally desecrates Yom Kippur is liable to the heavenly death of Kares and is therefore exempt from the obligation of payment for damages. Rav Chista said, Rabbi Nechonim Menachan concedes in the case of one who steals another's forbidden fat and eats it that he is obligated to pay for the fat, as he is already liable for theft before he comes to violate the prohibition against eating forbidden fat. However, eating is possible without lifting, as if one wishes he could bend down and eat. Let's analyze the Gemara. There's a famous Talmudic principle called Kamle Bederabe Minei, the essence of the concept is that if one commits two sins simultaneously, he only receives the greater punishment. For example, if an individual intentionally sets fire to his neighbor's barn on Sunday, he would be liable to pay damages. But if he sets it alight on Shabbos, he will be liable to capital punishment for having kindled a fire on Shabbos. That greater punishment then cancels out his obligation to compensate his neighbor for the damage to his barn. Rabbi Nechunim Menachana applies the same principle to Yom Kippur, despite the punishment for its desecration being slightly different. One who violates Yom Kippur is not liable to capital punishment at the hands of the human court, but instead receives kares, which is a form of death by the heavenly court. According to Rabbi Nechunia, kares is similar to capital punishment in that it overrides any liability to pay damages to a neighbor. How about if someone stole and ate his friend's non-kosher meat? such as certain forbidden fats of an animal. In that case, Rabban Chunya would agree that the thief is liable on both counts. He must repay the stolen goods, and he also receives heavenly punishment for his sin of eating the non-kosher meat. 
Why does the greater sin of eating non-kosher not override the obligation to repay? Because the two crimes didn't happen simultaneously. First he stole, and only afterwards did he eat. Nevertheless, the Gemara then suggests a scenario whereby the two crimes could occur simultaneously. If he were to bend down and snatch the meat with his mouth, the theft and consumption would happen at precisely the same moment. In that case, indeed, the sin of kosher would override the sin of theft. The Chassam Sofer asks why the Gemara switches topics to demonstrate this idea. Why not stick with the subject of Yom Kippur and offer an example of, of a thief who stole and ate a piece of bread on Yom Kippur? He therefore contends that if the Gemara doesn't use this example, then we must conclude that it wouldn't work. Why wouldn't it work? Let's set the scene. It's Yom Kippur and this fellow is hungry. He sees his friend's challah roll on the table and bends down to steal it with his mouth and eat it. Says Achsamsev, but the fact that the Gemara is not satisfied that the two crimes occur simultaneously suggests that unlike the non-kosher meat, the sin of eating on Yom Kippur does not take effect upon tasting the food. The mitzvah of Yom Kippur is to afflict ourselves by going hungry. If an individual would taste food and then spit it out, he would remain hungry. Thus, we must say that the transgression of eating on Yom Kippur takes effect only when the food reaches the stomach. Hence the reason the Gemara must switch topics. Stealing with one's mouth on Yom Kippur would not give rise to two simultaneous sins, as the sin of theft occurs immediately, while the sin of eating only happens when the food is digested. So what would that mean for our friend who approached Rav Moshe Feinstein with the idea of ingesting his nutrients and fluids intravenously? Presumably, the Chassam Service conclusion that the prohibition of eating on Yom Kippur happens when the food reaches the stomach implies that this fellow would still be considered to have eaten. According to the Achiezer, however, even the Chassam Sefer would agree that eating, by definition, happens via the mouth. And so if there were tubes that bypassed the mouth, it would not be considered eating on Yom Kippur. Nevertheless, Rav Moshe responded to the individual who wished to ingest intravenously his nutrients that he should not do so, offering the following extraordinary rationale. In order to insert a catheter and IV line, one would have to wound the skin, which is forbidden unless one is engaged in medical healing. In this instance, there's no medical reason to perform this, albeit minor operation. It would therefore be forbidden by Torah law to unnecessarily wound another person. Why is it unnecessary? Because not only is there no medical purpose for the wound, there is also no halachic purpose. The halacha mandates that one who is ill must eat on Yom Kippur. While this fellow sincerely wishes to do the very best in terms of his service to heaven, he is essentially circumventing that halacha. While most people have an obligation to fast on Yom Kippur, this fellow's obligation and challenge is to eat on Yom Kippur. Hashem has commanded him to eat. Who is he to think that he knows better what Hashem wants? We're all very blessed to enjoy a personal relationship with Hashem. Like any relationship, it's important to strive to figure out what Hashem wants. Oftentimes, we think that we can give him what he needs, but he doesn't need anything. He wants us to be rewarded by following the formula that he has set, not the one that we think will work best. If he says to eat on Yom Kippur, then it doesn't matter how that makes you feel. He wants you to eat. That's the mitzvah. In every relationship, you always need to ask yourself, what does the other person need and want? It's tempting to try to fit that person into the box of what you think they would like. But there are various languages of love. 
There are wives who appreciate flowers every Friday in honor of Shabbos, and there are others who feel that every week is a little too much. Some spouses need words of affirmation, others need quality time. Some need a constant physical connection. Others feel close to their spouse through simple acts of service. While all of these aspects are important, it's never one size fits all. The key to a healthy and ever-blossoming relationship is to always seek to understand what the other person needs and never to project our own sentiments onto them. Your mission on earth is to make Hashem happy. The mission of your marriage is to make your spouse happy. The key to success in every relationship is to place your own preconceptions aside and strive to uncover how to maximize the other person's satisfaction. May you merit lifelong wonderful relationships, wishing you a transformative day. Thank you for tuning into the Transformative Duff Podcast with Rabbi Daniel Friedman. Whether you've been doing Daf Yomi for years or you're not quite ready to commit but want to be part of the Daf Yomi global movement, there's something in the transformative Daf for everyone. It's about joining the conversation. It's about talking over the Daf with your family, your friends, your colleagues. It means never being short of a discussion starter or a meaningful Dvar Torah. Every page of the Gemara, every word, every letter contains the secrets of the universe to achieving a life of simcha and purpose. Transform your life today. The Transformative Daf is published by Mosaica Press and available at all good Jewish bookstores and online from mosaicapress.com. Thank you, The Transformative Daf.